No, no. Alright. I'm gonna trade you two sheep for that wood. Tell me, honey, does that sound good? Cause all I really wanna do is take away longest road from you, yeah. Welcome to these tabletop sessions. Welcome to the welcome to the welcome to these tabletop sessions. Hello, fellow gregarious geeks and gamers, and welcome to the 42nd episode of the Tabletop Sessions podcast. This is your monthly dose of tabletop gaming stories and shenanigans. My name is Elias, and with me today, a self-proclaimed board game designer and critic, so why not publisher, Hippocrates? Hello, Elias. I'm very happy to be here today. How you doing, Ippo? It's, uh, it's been a long time. We're, we're a little late on this 42nd episode. Yes, it took us some uh, some time, but we had more time to play more games, I guess. Sort of. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if this had <laughs> happened uh, when it was supposed to a couple of weeks ago, I would have had no games to talk about. <laughs> so I'm kind of glad it got delayed um, because I just got back on Sunday from uh, my group here's annual cottage board game trip which I considered the spiritual successor to TTS Con. So that was nice. The spiritual successor. Um, <laughs> I'm happy you're exactly, not saying that this is a successor exactly. because it, it would be heavy, you know, to just replace a bunch of people that, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they have lifetime uh, bonds with each other. Uh, but <laughs> you, you named it just a spiritual successor, so I'm happy for that. Yeah, well, so no, what it's it, hard to replace something where you're, you're not allowed to sleep for 24 hours, so oh, uh, it's you definitely not the same vibe. There. Okay. Yes, we were. We were. How many days was um, that? Uh, it's so it was two nights. Um, so we get like we 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 arrived around 4 p.m. for check-in. We played till like two uh, two thirty that night. Wait, four, slept, 4 p.m. on a like on a Friday, I guess. Oh yeah, so 4 p.m. on a Friday, we played till like two thirty. Then we woke up like 9 a.m. the next day, played till about 1 or 2 a.m., and then slept the second night, woke up at 8 a.m. the next day, played till about midday, 1 actually, then we checked out and drove back to Toronto. And uh, we were there were six of us, and it was super nice actually because, you know, I was just telling Ipo before, before we started, I hadn't played a single game basically for the last month. So um, I, I don't know if we've, we've made it clear in the past or not, but, you know, Dima and I, you know, we come from Arab backgrounds and are Arab. Um, and uh, we both have a lot of friends and family in, in Palestine, in Israel, and in Lebanon between the three of us. So we've been very, you know, messed up in terms of like mental, we've just been reading, checking the news and being tired. And, you know, our wonderful friends here keep trying to schedule game days and we keep saying no. And I feel horrible about it. And, you know, for any of them listening right now, I just, you know, I really want to do something soon. But basically they kept telling us, you know, let's play a game, let's do this. And we're like, you know, we're not, we're not there yet. Our mind 
we have this physical or mental exhaustion from what's happening. And um, I almost canceled our this trip, actually. Well, our involvement in this trip. I was going to say, keep the money. We paid for it. I just don't think we have the energy to do it. But then we didn't in the end. And I'm really glad that we didn't because this trip reminded me of two very important things as to why we play board games. One, it's really good sometimes to just be thinking about a game. Uh, it's really good for your mind to take a break. And two, physical in-person connection is so important. It's so healing. And just being sat around the table, talking to people that you have affection for, and going back and forth and like passing cards and having, there was something very healing and, you know, important about that. And I think that's the core of why we play board games. And that's the core of tabletop sessions, which was about the people and the sessions that we play board games with. So other than the fact that I would literally would have had nothing to talk about if I did not take <laughs> this trip, um, I am very grateful to the fact that I did because I feel like I'm starting to become a human again and be part of society once again. So um, I'm going to start reaching out to friends again and scheduling some time to to play games and see friends again and, you know, be a human again. So, uh, yeah. yeah, the value of board games, deeper than you thought. I, so. <laughs> I totally agree with that. I mean, whatever is the situation, uh, you know, spending some time with friends is the best heal, I guess. Uh, but Absolutely. I wanted to to ask you about this uh, uh, number six. You said you were six going to that. Uh, this yeah. six is a is a difficult number for, right? <laughs> it is. It is. But not so much because you can do four and two, you can do three and three, which is what we did. But if you want to do a big full day game, which we did on Saturday. There are many games that play six that you can do a full day on. So um, I, I feel like it was too bad. I think you know, it might be more difficult if you're seven or anything more than six because finding a game that plays everyone is basically impossible. So full day games become really hard. Um, but what did you play for get six from... players? 1880 China. And I was going to say, what else can you play except, except an 18xx game? What else can you play with <laughs> six players? Well, we could play Dominant Species. We Dominant could have played, Species, yeah. Uh, Virgin Queen. We could have played oh. um, Twilight Imperium. We could have played Eclipse, any of those. But most importantly, we could have, and we want to, and I got buy-in from everyone there, and Mo, who's willing to travel up from DC for this, to play Ooh. Mega Civilization. So, uh, oh my I don't know when you can come to Canada, Ipo, but it might happen without you if Wait, you can. Do you have the game so, now? Yeah, I have Mega Civilization. Why did you play it in the cabin? I mean, it would make sense. Because it would take two days. <laughs> <laughs> Just the setup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we wanted to play with more than one no, game for the whole weekend. But it will happen. And Mo said he's willing to drive up, so like... I think I can get nine or ten, which seems to be the sweet spot. So, I'm excited. I'm excited for when that happens. Uh, in the meantime, I was I played a lot of games. I played Hegemony, Concordia, Betrayal at House on the Hill. I played The Age of Atlantis, 
which is a game that I would like to talk about in the future, but I, I would like to, you know, uh, bug one or two more uh, games under my belt and then uh, mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk about it. Uh, I played also an epic blood on the clock tower with the maximum number of players that uh, the game can take, which is 18. It was, wow. uh, yeah, with the board game group, we did a Halloween uh, night. And we were more than 18. We were like 30 people. So we split and 18 of us played Blood Blood in the Clock Tower and some others played uh, other creepy games. I think one of them was the Betrayal (laughs) at House on the Hill uh, or Nemesis maybe they played. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. That makes sense. And it was a a brilliant uh, experience again. I, I love so much social deduction and especially Blood on the Clock Tower. But we have talked about it in the past. Um, yeah. And uh, we played uh, also the old King's Crown uh, at some point uh, on Tabletop Simulator. Because AK, our friend, wanted to buy this game. And this is now in Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And That's right. the end the end day is... I guess I, I want to say today, 23rd of November, because are we going to release the episode it'll, on 23rd of November? It'll be the day before I release this episode. <laughs> but can you back the game even after the, the end? Probably. Yeah, yeah. You can probably do a late pledge somewhere. Like, I just got Shikoku 1889. I backed that late on GameFound, and I got that. So you can definitely probably... They probably have some sort of late backing system on Pledge Manager. Because the game is the game is already funded. Uh, I just want to to give like two points about the game that we played on uh, in Tabletop Simulator. It has a feeling like Inis. If you have played Inis, Inis is a game mm. with uh, area control that has, you know, a few uh, regions on the on the board, a few rules, and. Uh, it's a deck of like 20 cards. So basically, mm-hmm. it's very nice that you really know what's going on even from the first game because all cards will be recycled and they will come to you and you know what's going on. And uh, the old King's Crown, I feel it has the same uh, feeling. So mm-hmm. I will recommend it even if I play the game just for one round so far <laughs> because... Uh, yeah, we couldn't do it because uh, Mo had uh, some visitors and we uh, we finished uh, the game early. Uh, <laughs> but I like the simple idea. I like the... Uh, I mean, the idea was that you're just placing a, a, a secret card in one of the three regions and the card has a number and whoever places the, the highest number is the highest power and he will win that. But of course, there are several modifiers and things that you can do and other uh, things that are going on. Uh, so I really like this. So it's a trick-taking idea. game. Uh, no, I wouldn't call it <laughs> trick-taking. <laughs> well, it reminded me of the Lebanese Civil War, if you have played that game. Oh, God. Listeners. <laughs> Remember that? But, but, it, but it's the same thing. I mean, we were playing a, a mm. secret card. Okay, for our listeners, the Lebanese oh Civil War God. is a game that I have designed, and Elias is like one of the six <laughs> players in this world that have play tested this game. <laughs> it's 
success, <laughs> successfully playtested the game. Anyway, the, the it was brave. Like it was brave of you to try to get as many factions as there were in the Lebanese Civil War into a board game. Like that is that's brave. <laughs> okay, I mean, the Lebanese Civil War uh, uh, winning conditions can only be compared with Oath. I feel, but mm. Oath is close enough. Have you played Oath? I've not, but oh. uh, you did not sell it to me on your review on the podcast. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, okay. Yeah. So it's it's it was complicated. Anyway, uh, <laughs> one thing that I, uh, I would like to to say about this uh, Kickstarter campaign is that I've watched the video in the Kickstarter page. It's four and a half minutes video, and the first two minutes is like storytelling. You know, with a beautiful voice, and there is beautiful animation in the background, and I was thinking, who is paying for all this stuff? <laughs> I mean, we are we are paying for this, right? Is Obviously, there a market? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I'm completely indifferent in this kind of marketing, but I understand that people want this. I guess they must. I, I mean, I don't. When I when I watch those videos. The entire time I'm thinking, but what is the game about? <laughs> and exactly, I just, uh... yeah, yeah. Just tell me about the game. Yeah, that, okay, <laughs> there is a background story. I understand, but I mean, I guess if you bring uh, Leonardo DiCaprio to play the the main uh, role uh, of the background uh, story, I, it will make a difference. So yeah. this is also or, making or, some. Or if but... you if you're on more of a budget, you can have me. Or way less. I'll do that. <laughs> I'll do the voiceover for you. I cost way less than Leonardo DiCaprio, and, and some would say and I with, have a nicer voice, <laughs> and with way better uh, and with way better uh, results. That's right. That's right. Everyone knows that. Uh, but um, yeah, I, so uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know the point. I I, I was tempted to buy it based on the art. And then I realized um, that's a stupid thing to do. And uh, the fact that neither <laughs> you or AK or Mo... It's not a stupid thing uh, to do. <laughs> the fact that none, all three of you, none of you talked about this game after your little session of it, I was like, I don't think I'm going to back it. Um, but it is lovely looking. Just lovely. Yeah, and okay, I want to say, in the history of humankind, people were buying art... Without uh, without the game, they were just buying the art. <laughs> so, so now you can buy beautiful art that comes with the game. So yeah, I mean, you can right. do it. <laughs> when you're right, you're right. I don't know how to counter an argument of such magnitude. <laughs> <laughs> well, well thought out uh, logistics. Um, anyway, um, would you like to share some shenanigans from your uh, cabin uh, story? Anything, I would. Uh, I would like to, to move off the topic <laughs> of the old King's Crown. Um, so, yeah, we played a bunch of games. Um, uh, we played Scout. We played Bonanza. Welcome to 1880 China. Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. Oh, I should have talked about that in this podcast. Fuck. That's such a good story. I'll tell you about it at the end. Sponsio, Factory Funner. There was a game of Now No, boarding. tell me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So is at the it, end of the first day. Is it a long story? Day, no, no. At the end of the first day, Dima decides at like almost 1 a.m., why don't we play Sherlock Holmes? 
Bolt's consulting detective. And everybody, it was the day we drove to the cabin. So everyone was like barely conscious. And yet they agreed because everybody loves Dima. So we sat there and we took out the game, started playing it. And we're doing our best. Wait, wait, wait. Did you have wine and a fireplace? We had a fireplace and someone was drinking wine, yes. So, yes, we did. <laughs> Someone. Um, no. Yeah, well, <laughs> some of us were drinking other <laughs> drinks. But anyway, the point is, we're playing this game. I look around, everybody's dead, right? Like, I'm trying my best to do voices for the characters, but people are going in and out of sleep. <laughs> and I just like, everyone's just staring and reading the newspapers and stuff like that. And about halfway through the game, um, Somebody just goes, wait, I have it. And then they just present this case, which at the time seemed extremely compelling, right? And so we just go down the rabbit hole of just this random shit that this guy found in the newspaper. And we solve all these things relating to this story. And we go to the end and we ask all the questions. And it turns out we know nothing about the main case. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing, (laughs) nothing about the main case. And we know everything about the side case. And somebody goes, why did we start following this line? And then they're like, yeah, well, Lucas Lucas said, blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah, but where did, where did we come to that from? And Lucas is like, oh, it's just something I found in the newspaper. That's the best Sherlock Holmes uh, consulting detective story. I mean, it gives you the whole idea of the game. And then the next morning... We all come for breakfast, and then like halfway through breakfast, I'm like, "Who the fuck was Stephanie? Like just some random <laughs> character that they asked questions about. We didn't even know who she was. We're like, "Who the fuck is Stephanie?" And they're like, "I know who's." <laughs> it was just it was a disaster, and yet it shows you why the game is so good because it has those things you can fall down and yeah. rabbit holes and things that exist beyond the story. And the side quest was so engaging and enthralling that we spent the whole time investigating that rather than the main story, which we just <laughs> abandoned. <laughs> just literally abandoned it and we were so tired. Nobody but remembered you had to get back it. to it. We had a great time. We had a great time. Um, sorry, I feel like I'm jumping too much now, but... Um, this won't take that long. So a game we played multiple times was called Scout by Keika Gino from Oink Games. It came out in 2019. Do you know Oink Games? They're the ones that do the little box games. They had a Fake Artist Goes to New York. They had Insider. They had um, games like that. So they just come in these tiny little boxes. You remember I a Fake Artist I... Goes to New York? Yeah, but I... have I played that? Yeah, I mean, I had it for years, so I assume you played it. I remember the box, but I don't remember playing it. Yeah, the little pink box. Exactly. So they just remember that they're about that size, a tiny little box, uh, yeah. about half the size of your phone, and it has a, usually has a lot of game in it. And somebody brought it out, and they're like, it's a ladder climbing game. I think uh, Chang brought it out. And I love ladder climbing games because Tichu is one of my favorite games. So I was immediately like, all right, I'm in. So a ladder climbing game is like, rather than have a trick game where like you're all playing cards into a center pool and somebody wins that whole trick, 
you're you keep having to beat a card that's in the center so it goes round and round and you keep having to beat it with either sets or sequences right so sequence being like four five six a set being like two 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 right so something like that um but it's it's a mixture of tichu and bonanza because because other than being um a ladder climbing game it's like bonanza because you can't rearrange your hand right so initially and, oh, and there's no partners like teach you and it's a much simpler game but the cards basically have a number at the top and a number at the bottom so they're like you you can rotate the card and have a completely different hand so when you first get your hand you look at it and you decide which direction you're going to be playing that round in so you do have a choice initially and you can play cards unlike bonanza from anywhere in your hand so it doesn't have to be just from the edge so you can play cards so let's say you had like a two five and a two you could play that five and then the two twos will now be next to each other so in the future you can play two twos as a set because they're next to each other so you're building sets and sequences in your hand by playing other cards right and um yeah you either you just have to keep beating the card there and if you can't beat the card in the center you scout a card from the center. So let's say the person played two, three, four. Well, the two, the three, and the four also have numbers on the other side because remember they're rotatable cards. You can take a a card from either end of the sequence or the set, and then you can rotate it to either direction and insert it anywhere in your hand. So you're building these sets and sequences in your hand by adding cards and by playing cards. Um... And, of course, when you do it, there is a benefit to that person who you're stealing the card from. They get a point, right, at the end of that round. And you play a number of rounds equal to the number of players. But also, it makes the hand more beatable. So if somebody plays three, four, five, six, that's really hard to beat because that's four cards long. Um, because the number one factor is how, how many cards are in the sequence or set. Then, if it's a sequence or a set, set beats a sequence. And then... Um, what the number is, the highest number is in the sequencer set. Um, so three, four, five, six is super hard to beat. But if I take the six out and then somebody takes the three out, now it's just four, five. So I could beat that with a two, two, you know, just it, it becomes much easier to beat. So you're taking cards out and you're building it up and it's just such a clever puzzle. Um, and so basically at the end of each round, all the cards... The, the round ends when somebody stops playing cards. Sorry, when somebody finishes all the cards in their hands or when somebody plays a hand down, uh, a, a sequence or a set that goes all the way around the table back to the person and hasn't been beaten. When that happens, all the cards in your hand become negative points and all the cards you've collected by beating them become positive points plus all the tokens from when people scouted cards from your sets and sequences. I don't know if that was clear, but it's a great game. Uh, it's just like, it's like you're building and refining the cards in your hand and the order in your hand to make these awesome sets and sequences. It's quick, super quick. You can play it in 20 minutes. It's fun. I played it multiple times at multiple player counts. And there were multiple times in the games where everyone would go, Ooh, or like, what? Like you know, and that's Wait, usually how have, I know a game is have good. Have you ever played Tichu before? Yeah, yeah, I own Tichu. I've played it many times. I mentioned it earlier. It's one of my favorite games. So is it, is it like the deck? Is it similar to Tichu? Is it like a no, no, 
No, no. It's just it's uh, cards one through ten, and then again they're on both sides. So like a card might have a one, and then you rotate it on the other side it has a seven, and then there's multiple combinations of each. So, um, and it's much simpler. There's no oh. partners like can teach you, right? So, yeah. um, the ladder climbing is easy, but so many times you're playing, somebody looks like they're falling behind, and then they drop like five, six, seven, eight, nine, and everybody's like, "What?" And like multiple times in the game, people just collectively gasped or screamed. And I think that's amazing that in a 20 minute game, multiple times that keeps happening, everyone breaks out laughing or in shock. And also, I saw like you could like destroy like the strategy of the game if it's advantageous to you. So in one of the games we played three players, Lucas was playing and in the at the start of the third round, he had he had 15 points. Second place had zero points and third place had minus seven. So he was well ahead. So he's like, well, I need to end this as soon as possible. So the first time somebody played a set of two cards, um, the other player couldn't beat it because it was like the second hand, took one card and then Lucas, who clearly could beat it because it was a single card and you could beat the single card, chose to scout it because then it got back to the first player. Oh. And so he had to get minus points for the cards in his hands, but he had 15 points ahead of the second player. So he ended the game with five oh. points to minus two to minus 10. So oh. it kind of broke it slightly, but it was still an excellent experience. <laughs> And you can only really do that if you gain a huge advantage. So it's not something you can consistently do. How many rounds did you play of this game? Uh, total, I played like I don't know, eight or something. <laughs> like, wow. Uh, yeah. How much time is it like to play one game? I'd say 20 minutes to 30 maximum. Oh. Less. 15 to 20 maybe. Um, so it's addictive. It's addictive. It's addictive. I really loved it. And... Um, Honestly, it was my favorite game of the cottage trip. Like, it, I kept going back to it. Yeah. Um, That's high praise. I would say if you, if you like ladder climbing games like Tichu or Chimera, and but you want one that's super quick, but also has those moments of like, what, I can't believe he just did that. This is, this is a great game. And um, I want to buy a copy, but Dima says Cheng already has it, so I can't have it. So, um, but it's like 20, 20 bucks. Like, I don't know. I feel like I might buy it anyway. I, I don't think she'll <laughs> divorce me over 20 bucks. So yeah. <laughs> I think I might pick it up. Yeah. I really like it. like it so I, much. I, I mean. She, she it, never it, played it. it. She never played it. Oh, so that's why. That's why Dima didn't uh, want you to buy it because she doesn't know what she misses exactly she doesn't know the quality of this game is like a fine wine it's beautiful anyway i adore it i think if you've been thinking about fence uh scout if you've been on the fence about scout pick it up it's excellent um really really excellent game high high recommend from me and i am glad that a couple of people i know have this game so i'll try to get it in after or before other games in the future nice all right. So, what do you think? It, did they get you interested in uh, in trying uh, Scout? Actually, I realized w when you were uh, uh, explaining the experience, I was thinking that I have Tichu, and I have not played it for like well what? since I bought oh. it. 
And Did you was fantastic. Yeah, so I was thinking I should bring it to the game nights. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure if card games. I mean, I feel that Tichu and all these games that I was playing, like uh, Waste and uh, Bridge and other yep. card games. Uh, should we mix these games in the hobby, or do you feel that this is like something? Uh, for that is that is a great point. I'm I actually sure. think it's very important. So I do think one card games you can play them with family or some people usually. So like I play teacher with my parents. Uh, I've played oftentimes with my parents and my sister or Dima and my parents, and uh, they lo- they really enjoy it. So I do think it's easier to get them to play teach you than it is to get my gaming group to play teach you. Um, so maybe there is another arena for it. But this game sort of um, solves that by not looking like a traditional deck of cards. It just looks like colors and and uh, big numbers. And it looks like a game you would play at a board game night. It doesn't look like a deck of cards. And I, I do th- and, and also unlike Teach You, which is about when you climb the ladder with, with your partner, um, so it's all about timing and when, when you start and how to set things up, um, this one, I found like a lot of joy in the puzzle building of how to get your hand to be perfect. So like, which card should I play in which order? What speed should I go at to get my cards to work? So it felt much more puzzly, um, as opposed to a card game. So I think you could definitely sell this one at board game night. And because it's 20 minutes, you would teach you if you're playing to a hundred points, that's going to be a couple hours or 200 points or whatever. Yeah. Usually you play to, usually you play to 500 or a thousand. So that's going to be like two hours or three hours. So, um, so I think this is, I feel this- if, if you do want to play something like teach you on game night, you should pick up scout because you could definitely sell that as a, Start or end or start of the night or end of the ga- night game, uh, much easier than you could with teach you. I feel this is the problem with the the traditional card games that they need some time for a person to grasp what's going on, and you're supposed to play the whole night the same game, and this is something that usually is not happening in a game night. So yeah, I don't f- see any other difference. I mean, I guess we you can teach a uh, some people to play Tichu in a game night, but again, they need to spend some time in order to appreciate the game. That, that's my feeling. Yeah, yeah. So what I wanted to uh, talk about, actually, this is a game that I played one month ago, and this is Dominant Species Marines. So I got this game from uh, uh, my last trip in uh, summertime, uh, I, I want to uh, one of my favorite games I think our old listeners should know by now that my one of my favorite games is Dominant Species uh, but a friend of mine has this has Dominant Species here in Qatar and I found Dominant Species Marine that is a game that it could play in two and a half hours instead of five hours that is the, the Dominant Species game of course Dominant Species Marine is also a game for four players rather than six players that the domin- the original Dominant Species uh, can play. So we played Dominant Species Marine and it's a very nice game, but we played it uh, two times and I felt there was something missing from my original experience with my 
you know, uh, with the dominant species game. And I couldn't understand what, what was exactly the problem. I was thinking maybe it's the count, maybe with six players is more epic. Uh, for the people that they don't know, both are uh, area uh, majority games where you score points being different species in uh, a prehistoric earth where the uh, environment is constantly changing and you're trying to survive basically. Uh, so the difference between these two I found is that the in the dominant species game the you have a dominance per tile of four cards scored while in the dominant species marine you score uh, on uh, the earth for workers and action markers uh, I don't know if I should go uh, actually no I, I will go over the over my uh, comments on the difference which is that the basic problem with uh, the marine is counting dominance is a nightmare counting mm-hmm. dominance in uh, uh, dominant species in the original game is that you say, okay, so my reptiles can be fed with, uh, let's say, flowers and bugs. And in this tile, there are two flowers and two bugs. So two times two for flowers plus two times two for bugs, I have eight points of uh, dominance. So this is, yeah. you must do this for every tile. And every time somebody is changing the terrain type or every time somebody is changing uh, what his species can be fed with, uh, you need a, a new count. So the solution that the designer, uh, by the way, the designer is the same for both games, of course. Uh, the solution that the, the designer uh, gave with the marine uh, version is that you just count dominance per element for the whole board. And that's all. And if you have more uh, elements in, uh, in your board, then you get an extra worker. You just compare yourself with the other personal boards. Mm. and you get one more action pawn and of course action pawns are very important because you have one more action per uh, per uh, round and this is one thing that I feel Marine is better but this solution creates another problem because the whole game is has those actions of adaptation and regression and abundance where you add tiles on the board that can change uh, where your species can survive and how much fit you are with uh, in these terrains. And now all these are less important. Or maybe they just mm-hmm. feel that way because I guess the, the designer knows what he's doing or maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> but these adaptation, regression and abundance is like one third of the actions. And also, mm-hmm. so all these now are feeling less important and this is like one third of the game. Mm. So... This is a point for dominant species for the original game. Now, in both games, they have this mechanism where the the ice is coming and it's, uh, you know, uh, making deserts around the board and uh, uh, species are dying. And the difference now is that uh, while in the original game you score triangular numbers, so for its uh, extra last year you score two then three then four more points in the marine game is just one point per tile and that's all mm. so this list this feels 
less important, which I didn't like. I really like the mechanism where the, the ice is uh, coming and it's uh, occupying the uh, bigger portion of the earth every round and you see the species dying and you can score a lot of points and you, it's important to have just this one survival in its uh, uh, ice uh, place. The other thing that is happening is that uh, with the Wanderlust action where you add hexagons in the board, you, you add terrains in the, in the board, uh, now you score more if you manage to place the same terrain type next to the same terrain type on the board. And this mm -hmm. creates regions of the same, you know, like three or four hexagons with uh, jungle. While in the previous, uh, in the original game, you just need to put it next to other hexagons and you're going to score points. The, the most possible adjacent. Exactly. Yeah. There are other minor differences that some are better with the original game, some are better with the Marines game. But one important for me is the special traits that in the original game are important because it gives you really... Uh, it, it, you know, it kind of makes the game asymmetric, like each faction has its own trait. So, like, if you are the birds, you can move two hexagons with your move instead of one mm -hmm. that every other species is moving. So, That's in the dominant right. species, this is very, it's very important. While in the, in the Marines uh, version, traits are just random cards that you draw in the beginning of the game. You draw two, you pick one. And that means now that it's random the difference between the species and the weak, the weakest species according to the uh, to the order is losing all tiebreakers as in the original game also in the marines mm. you're losing all tiebreakers uh, on the board so now it, while in the original game if you are the weakest uh, species where you lose all the the tiebreakers you you have a better trait so this is, will balance the game. Mm -hmm. In Marines, there's no such mechanism. So if you are the weakest, the only thing that will happen is that you'll, you will go first in the first round, and that's all. Because oh, in, wow. the end of, in the end of the, of the round, uh, whoever does the, the last action, then the next player does the first action of the second round. So it's not oh, like wow. the weakest is going to go first in every round. Interesting. And, so you, and you can't... This, you can't yeah. gain placement like you can in uh, dominant species. Dominant species, that first action on the action row, it's called um, initiative or initiation. Basically, oh, yeah. it, it puts yes. your, your species up one space on the track. Yeah, ex exactly. exactly. So you can play earlier in the next round. Yeah, so you don't have this in the in Marines. The... There are some people arguing in uh, board game geek forums that uh, this first action that you can do before the other players is very important because mm. uh, you can go back to this uh, mechanism of the uh, uh, where you get the extra action pawn, so you can do that action and get an extra action. So that's uh, really important, but uh, I, I don't think that convinces me that it's uh, balanced. But at the same time, it's a, it's a famous designer. The, he has playtested the games, I know for sure, uh, hundreds of times. So I guess we just need to play it more. Yeah. 
you know, balancing all these things that I have counted, I found four points, four bullet points where the original game was better and four bullet points where the new game is better. So I guess you can have both in your collection and you can play Marines, I guess, better for with four players. Or if you are more than four players, for sure you should play Dominant Species. That's my... I mean, Dominant Species is excellent <laughs> with four players. I just want to point out... Yeah, like, I don't want to say yeah. that because then I, I shouldn't have the Marine <laughs> game. Right? <laughs> no, I okay. So we played Marine online on Tabletop Simulator like a year or two years ago. And uh, it was good. It was nice. Um, I like that there were some different concepts, but it still felt like Dominant Species. I would say like, you know, I can't review it as well as you did because I've only played it once online. But I did feel like if someone played Dominant Species Marine, they would understand if they liked Dominant Species or not. I didn't feel like it's a whole different game. I think it's very interesting that you said the way what you talked about the way of counting dominance versus adjusting it now so that it's board wide re removing the value of adaptation aggression and abundance of those food that are either going to go on your sheet on your player sheet or on the board that's such a big deal in the game it's just like by introducing an element to an area you've now made it viable to another player that's going yeah. to come in and all of a sudden because whilst dominance is very important for the cards it's not the most important for scoring points, which is more about population than it is about dominance. So just by making it viable, somebody could just send in so many of their species in there. Um, so that, I think, remains. But by changing its value and dominance, I don't know if it becomes as attractive or not. It's, it's interesting. I think it's an interesting thing. It's like a rebalancing because these are the two points that I always think of in dominant species is adaptation, regression, and abundance using those food tokens and the other thing is that the glaciation yeah. strategy is a real strategy so making yeah. your species capable of surviving on glaciation getting that glaciation card every turn so, so now but you I'm, understand why i'm 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 missing this feeling of original dominant species when i'm playing marines yes yes but at the same time my friends that have played marines first and then i introduced them to dominant species they were shocked by the the mechanism of counting for dominance. its hexagon the dominance yeah. they were saying no no this is this doesn't make sense the, i mean <laughs> the rules probably are, are not like that you're you're wrong and I said no i have played this many times <laughs> yeah many times yeah they were shocked of how complicated it is and then i realized that they are right i mean for modern board games and when i say modern i guess i mean the last decade i mean no, Dominant Species is before 2010. Yeah, it's like 2009. Dominant Species is 2010. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's too complicated. <laughs> I mean, it takes too much time. I, mean, to... I, guess, I guess when you've played it as much as we have, it's not that complicated because you just immediately look at it and like you sort of have an idea in your head of who's uh, got what and if they've adapted. Was that and you're head, like, oh, yeah. well, yeah. And you're not on every tile yeah. to have to consider that. So you just look at it, you go, da, 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 and you figure it out. Like, um, Plus, you tend to have a lot of people specializing tiles. So people go and put a, yeah. a lot of water tokens around this tile. So I, it's not as complicated once you've played it, but I can definitely see. I can see how when you come in and you're like, wait, there's like there's like 20 tiles on this board. <laughs> we have to yeah, constantly yeah, yeah, check exactly, it. Yeah. I can see it, it's definitely clunky in that regard, but you don't feel it as much yeah. when you know the game and you're familiar and you can quickly count it. So I think from what I'm hearing from you, 
if you have one, you don't need to feel sad that you don't have the other. If you love the game the way we do. But, but I do, Elias. I do. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is you've had too much experience with the first game. So you can't get it oh. out of your head. If you had just played Marine, you might not um, think so highly of regular dominant species. I know that when I played Marine, I was like, I'm down to play it anytime. But I didn't feel like I need to, to own it. Like I'm like I'm very happy with my copy. It plays four players super well. Yeah. So I don't really feel like there's a need. Um, some would say it's better at four than at six. So um that's awesome. Thank you for talking uh, about that. I really am happy Yabiek to hear this. Says it says it it's best with five. Oh, that's cool. I, I, I yeah. might have played it with five, but uh, I've played it with four, I've played it with six, uh, I've I've played it with three, where everyone has two uh, species. I'm yet to try it with two where everyone has three species, but that sounds like a nightmare. Um, but I would oh. say like th three and up. Yeah, it's, not three. It's, it's really good. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, thanks for that. I, I always love talking about dominant species. So yeah. So so that was dominant species versus dominant species marines. If you like water, get marine. <laughs> if you don't care, if you don't <laughs> oh, like, yeah. if you don't care about the color blue. You can get either one. Who yeah, cares? That, anyway, that's another uh, difference that I did. I didn't mention. Sorry, sorry. I, I have to interrupt you again. Go for but, it. Yeah, my Marines has species from the sea that I have yeah. no idea what they are. That's also <laughs> that's also important. <laughs> like the Cus, Cus, uh, I, I don't I don't even remember like custodians and uh, like crustacean. you know the lobsters and uh, you know the fish. The fishes and the lobsters and uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I really while the the original one, you know, the, you know the reptiles, okay, you know the the birds, <laughs> you know the the uh, the bugs, whatever I, was there, the mammals. I would argue that most people know fishes, reptiles, crustaceans, and cephalopods. I don't feel like it's too much. Really? Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But but you have a a degree in in biology, right? I do, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I did a I did a three week marine biology course where we camped on the beach for three weeks and the class was oh my on God, the beach see, so you are, in San Diego. You're yeah. the wrong person to talk about this. <laughs> maybe I should buy a marine just to have memories. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> on okay, the topic about of of GMT oh, games. This is not a GMT oh, okay. game, <laughs> but uh, you know other 18xx games have been GMT it's not? games. The main, no, no, I think it's Lookout Games was the publisher for the copy we had. So my friend Carol, yeah. last year during our cottage board game trip, I introduced everyone other than Dima, obviously who had played, to 18xx games. They had only played the closest they had played was City of the Big Shoulders, which. Is like an 18xx euro basically, and uh, they yeah. played all the like, I, like Irish Gage, Iberian, blah blah. blah. They played all those, um, so they they were like 18xx adjacent, but they hadn't played an 18xx. So I took 1846. Uh, we were five people that year, uh, last year. I taught everyone how to play 18xx, and they played it, and we all had a good time. And right soon after we got back, like a month later. Carol bought 1880 China 
Um, and we've been trying to schedule a game for it and it didn't happen until this year. So at this point, we're at the point where we're like, okay, the trip needs to be three nights so we can give one full day to an 18xx game so that the other day we can play other like semi-long games, you know, because we don't get to play a lot of other semi-long games because if we're going to play an 18xx every time, (laughs) it's going to take up most of one of the days. Anyway, so this one's designed by Helmut Ohli and uh, Lonnie Augler, the guys who did Russian Railroads. Uh, one of them did 18 Lilliput. Oh. They did um, 18CZ. They did, uh, yeah. And our version was published by Lookout Games, 2010. But this was the new version. It had a pretty cover. It's still ugly on the inside, but <laughs> pretty cover. Um And if you know anything about 18xx, you'll know that they're all kind of based off of each other. So this one is based on the 1829 style of 18xx game, but it has communism. (laughs) That's that's the central theme. Yeah. (laughs) It actually does a pretty good job. I will tell you. It has a pretty good job of the communism coming through. Um, So So I'm not going to tell you how it... I'm not yet yeah, sure. I'm not going to tell you how 18xx works, uh, but the basic idea is you run companies. Um, you have operating rounds, which is where the companies are running the trains and paying out to shareholders, and then you have share rounds where you, as the person, are basically building your stock portfolio, and um, you run a company in the operation rounds if you have the most stock in that company. So you become the president. And at the end of the game, the determinant of if you're winning or not is how much money you personally have. Nobody actually gives a shit how your company is doing. So that's an important thing to remember. So um, that's the basic concept of 18xx. We can go into more detail another time if you'd like, but for now, that should be enough. So how does communism affect the game? Well, there's a period. So the game goes through ages, which are usually... Uh, In all 18xx games, it it triggers when certain types of trains are purchased. So trains get better throughout. And when the first of a kind of train is picked up, a certain age starts in the game. Uh, So communism basically starts when a certain kind of train is first purchased and ends when another kind of train is first purchased. So there's a period of the game and the train rush where uh, communism takes over. And what happens during communism? Stock values don't change so it makes sense it has a it has a yeah so you you have a stock market in the game and basically every time you uh, pay out dividends it goes up marginally every time you don't pay dividends your value goes down div- uh, minimally every time every round that your company's fully bought out your company gets a jump to the next row and every time someone sells one of your shares your company drops a row so um, there's a lot of stock manipulation, but this game only has full payouts or no payouts. So there's no partial payout. So if people start buying your company up, it's very hard to keep any money in your company without losing value in your stock because you'll have to withhold all the dividends. No one will get anything and you'll lose value as a company. But when when communism happens, that doesn't matter. So if you want to like drop a bunch of your shares during communism, um, so that like more money comes out every time you pay, you can do that without losing value in your shares. If you want to withhold dividends, you can do that all throughout communism. Um, and the way that the game is funded is when you start it, 
you basically, you pay out for however many shares you want, two, three, or four, 20%, 30%, 40%. Uh, each share is worth 10%. And then you get 50% of your company in funding. Once the first five shares have been purchased, they will release the other 50% of shares to your company. But you want as many shares not bought so that your company can operate. So if you can get 50% of your company bought out before communism, you will get that 50% injection of cash. And then when communism happens, you can drop a bunch of shares back into the market without ruining your stock value. And then and then once once basically you communism ends and you're paying out every round, so you get growth um in your share value, your company is still getting a bunch of money without having to withhold the dividends. The only way people can stop that is if they buy your shares. And if they buy your shares, they're going to inadvertently boost the value of your company. It's very interesting how communism plays into the game. Um, I actually played the first half of the game. Sorry, thematically, it doesn't make sense, right? Like there was no period well, of communism. I'm sure you can that, stretch that it. Ended. <laughs> also, if, if communism comes, then there is privatization and there's no stock market. It's very I'm interesting. Not sure. It's not privatization because the way that thematically it's done is when you buy shares, you're not paying the company. So when you buy shares, you're paying the bank, the, the state-owned bank. There is no bank oh, to break right. in this game. The bank is infinite. So basically, the game basically will only happen oh. when, a certain, when the train rush happens. And there will always be the same number of stock rounds because a stock round is only triggered when... Uh, when a train stack is depleted, type of train stack is depleted. Oh, so, interesting. So there will always be an equal number. Yeah, it's very it's very unique from what I've played. Um, so I started the game as a investor for two reasons. One, I kind of got screwed over on the private company auction in the beginning, and I didn't have very much money. But two, it was my turn to cook dinner. <laughs> So I decided I'll play as an investor. I say so I only have to play during the stock rounds as long as people were paying me out when they ran for my shares. And then when I finished cooking dinner, I could maybe buy a company. Um, that wasn't so the best nice, strategy. Right? That's, a, that's a valuable lesson for 18xx players out there. I made, I made lasagna. It was really good. Anyway, um, so I, I did that, and then I bought a company halfway through after dinner, and I had a great time doing that. So if that is something that you have to do, like it, it's fun. It's fun anyway. But the thing is, at that point, everyone had two to three companies already. Um, and unfortunately, this is not a game you can win, I think, I believe, with my one play of it, as an investor, because your stock portfolio is limited. Uh, unlike some other 18xx games, there is no parts of the stock market where you start getting double and triple bumps if you pay out shares. So it's always just going up, up or to the right. And so it's it's a slow rise. And the most it can be worth is 200 yuan. If you're somewhere in the middle of the table, your, your, your company's worth like 150. So the mo if you if you peek out at the top right of the share table, each share is worth two hundred. It's not very much, so unfortunately, it seems very much to be a cash game. So getting the best possible payouts of return and hoarding that cash, um, because it also has a twelve share limit. Of course, Cheng figured that out early and uh, 
he uh, started collecting cash early in the game. By the time we figured it out, it was when we were counting the score. So <laughs> it was too late to do it. But Cheng figured it out and he destroyed all of us, of course. Um, but it was the only game he won that weekend. So we let him have it, you know. We didn't want him to feel bad about losing all throughout uh, the weekend. Um, and the oh, funny thing about it is all three, of Cheng's, all three of Cheng's companies were three of the lowest four or five valued companies in the game. So that shows you that the value of the share is not as important in this game as it is in, say, 1846. It was very much a pay-me-out, hoard cash kind of game. And uh, I thought that was interesting. I thought that was different than everything that I've experienced. So to, to not to go too much more into detail, negatives that I've heard, the rule book apparently is awful, unusable. I didn't read it, but that's what I've been told. And basically, uh, we use the fan-made reference mostly. So I think if you could, Ipo, if you could make a civil player aid for us, I think that would no. be uh, yes, great. No, okay, yes, send, <laughs> send me the game and uh, I will make a one. Uh, uh, I'll buy you a copy. Of the same, yeah. of the same yeah. uh, value as the Peloponnese... Uh, Civil War. Well, well, not, we still use your 1846. No, the, the Pericles one. Oh, oh the Pericles, yeah, but, but uh, your 1846 one is the reason I'm thinking. It's so good. Anyway, um, another bad thing is I did feel like... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to argue that I don't believe that there is an 18xx game you can win just as an investor. I mean, in my experience. Yeah. I'm not sure that there is, sure. But I do know that it is a viable strategy to play part of the game as an investor. Yeah. I yeah. was I was running I was making the most money per turn at the end of the game, not just as my company, but me personally. But it just it wasn't enough rounds, like period. Like everybody else had been making a ton of money. Oh. So because my company was making the most and I owned seventy percent of my company. Um, because there's no limit to how much of your company you can own. So uh, my company was running like $790 a turn. Everyone else was running in the 400s and 500s, and I was getting seven shares of that. So uh, it just wasn't enough rounds for me to catch up. So I do feel like in other games, you can play investor. And I think the reason is not that it's flawed. I think the reason is the way the stock system works. So the usual 18xx game is you played a number of operating rounds, then you play a stock round. Either one, two, or three operating rounds, then you play a stock round. So you're always going to have a stock round pretty consistently. In this game, it was very much dependent on how quickly people bought trains. Um, and there was a fixed number of stock rounds. So early in the game, I wasn't making much money because I only had like three or four shares. And that's just how much money I had. People floated pretty high when they started the game. And unfortunately, it meant that at the, for the first half of the game, people were just making a lot more money than I was. Um, so maybe, again, it just might be my strategy. But I did feel like investor strategy was more limited than usual. I really liked the communism aspect of the game. Like I felt, I felt like it, it made an impact on how we approached it. Although I did feel also... Like, it was very short. I think we all felt that. It just so happened to align with um, when people's trains rusted. So when communism started, it also led to a train rush. People were buying trains, 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 trains. So the communism period was actually very short. One person actually triggered it at the end of his turn. 
uh, Robert, and before it got back to the start of Robert's turn, communism was over. So he never actually got to do anything within communism. Um, so that's interesting. I, I like that they simplified turn order. So turn order isn't based on your operating order, rather, isn't based on your position in the stock market. It's based on what you floated your market at, your company at, so it stays consistent throughout the game. So at least, oh. at the very least, it's very easy to look at and be like, this is a turn order. So I did like that that was different and it was simple and nice. I enjoyed it a lot. I would definitely play it again, but it, we played 11 hours. <laughs> so what? like 11 hours, okay, yeah. To be fair, the first like a proper two hours sex were, game. Yeah, like the first two hours were us kind of like teaching and remembering 18xx rules. And, One and guy you know, that it, never it takes a lot of time XX. with all this bureaucracy in communist China and things, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And also I had to make lasagna and, and we had dinner halfway through. So I don't I, think I those have to were... Say, uh, communist China is is a very strange uh, background for a capitalist <laughs> game like 18xx. Like it's the most capitalist competitive game that I know, I think. <laughs> and yeah, okay. So these guys took it to China and there is a communist uh, break. Okay, interesting. It really yeah, is. Yeah. It is. And the, and the pictures you sent were really uh, like impressive and uh, beautiful for a, for an 18xx game. Yeah, for an 18xx game. So, I mean, um, I, I, I think, you know, Carol bought it because of that communism thing. So he thought it'd be an interesting aspect. So I think like the limited aspect, aspect it played in the game maybe wasn't the best thing. But I also feel like next time we play it, we'll have a better approach to like, communism is coming there's going to be a rush soon because trains are rusting let's like dump you know like just like withhold all the stocks a, dump stuff uh poker chips uh, we use poker chips yeah we used we have we have iron clays and we use poker chips but um all in all oh, nice. i really liked it i would play it again i think it would go faster next time because 11 and a half hours included the teach right so that's you know one guy had never yeah. played an 18xx and none of us had played 1880 so we all we had to teach that guy 18xx as a concept, and then Carol had to tell us the differences in 1880. Uh, but he did very well. I think he came in second or third, that new guy. So I think all in all, it's great. And we also had dinner, and like it was, it was just it was a yeah. lot of fun. It was great. I would play it again. It's, it's, I think we it's could get day. it played in six hours next time. Yeah, maybe half a day, maybe half a day. Um, I think six to seven hours next time if everyone's already played. But um, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. It was one of my, um, the 18xx games that I've enjoyed the most, actually. One of them. So I, I really had a nice time. And uh, maybe it's because I wasn't brain dead at the end. Right, because beauty, I played beautiful. the first half. As... It's, it's not that beautiful. Calm down. Uh... <laughs> no, I mean, but, uh, I, beautiful experience. Like, beautiful story. Yeah, I had a very nice time, and I think everyone did. And basically, we've come out of it being like, all right, we need to get 1889 played soon because everyone has, like, the basic rules in their head so we can get it taught in, like, 15, 20 minutes and get started on the game, you know? So, because um, I just got 1889 as well. So uh, I'll let you know when I do play that. It look, That one looks beautiful. You should look up 1889 Shikoku. That's a gorgeous 1889. Yeah, yeah. Dima I, disagrees. I, I she says. That, yeah. She says it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
But what does she know? That's why she's not on the podcast anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, that's all I I got to say. uh, I enjoyed it tremendously. I I had a a, a thing I wanted to say about the, uh, actually in the Hippocratic Corner, but since this was a lookout game, uh, I want to say that lookout games, you know, published Forest Shuffle. That's a game that Mm -hmm. came out with no plastic shrink wrap because they're trying to be uh, environmentally friendly. And they had a little adhesive tab uh, decks wrapped in a thin paper. And the decks were wrapped in with an adhesive uh, and that was all. And so you you couldn't tell if, if the box was used or not, of course, of, I guess. But uh, what do you think about it? I think as much as we can do to limit plastic use, I think that's great. Um, I, I have received games in the past that didn't come with um, plastic wrap. And I was never like, oh, my God, my game has been destroyed by the air. Yeah. Like, it, <laughs> it's fine. Like, uh, I think a tab is a nice way to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I had secondhand games that uh, they were great. Exactly. Uh, and I, I couldn't see the. But, but there is some feeling of uh, fulfillment when you first, uh, you know, cut the the shrink wrap and you open the game. No, I don't think so. I've never enjoyed cutting the shrink wrap. I just kind of feel like it's unnecessarily there. I understand why they have to do it for shipping purposes and so on, but. If there's a tab or something holding it close, you know, I think that's fine. I know there was another game called like Earthborn Warriors or something like that. Earthborn Rangers. And apparently the whole game you could literally go and like plant it in the ground and it would it would like decompose into nature. <laughs> and I think that's awesome. Be- because it was a horrible game. <laughs> of course, why else? Uh but uh <laughs> I think as much as we can do to minimize our impact, we should. So um, I'm glad to see they're doing it. Shout out to Lookout Games for being awesome. Yeah, bravo Lookout Games. And okay, so let's see. Oh, oh wait. Now is the time for our Hippocratic Corner, right? Yeah, it is. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> you flipped the table on me there. Hippocratic <laughs> Corner. So... Let's see, because our top five, as you know, today is top five publishers. So let's see if Lookout Games made it to our top five publishers ever before starting. Actually, would you like to to tell me how what did you think before starting uh, listing uh, publishers? Um. So my criteria. So I was I was thinking what it means to be a top five publisher, and. Uh, Initially, I was thinking, oh, does that mean their customer oh. service? Does that mean component quality art? And then I decided to disqualify all of that as criteria. There's only one criteria <laughs> oh that I'll be doing it. Is the publisher name going to push me towards wanting to buy the game or not? So if I see the publisher, if I, if I don't know a game, I'm like, oh, that was published by XYZ. Am I likely to buy this game? And if the answer is yes, that put them higher on my list. If not, because you can argue all day about component quality and art, but 
a lot of the people I love have terrible component quality and art. So I don't like, I'm not going to pretend that that's a major factor in there and customer service, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm not calling and being like, excuse me, oh my, my game is defective. You know, like that's not really, um, but there is one thing I wanted to say, one disqualification because it's huge. The publisher can't just be a publisher. It can't be on my list just because they do the games of one publish, one designer or one design team. Like that's more of top five designers. So for example, CGE didn't make my list because Vlada is the reason I love CGE. That's more oh, of I love Vlada. Oh my God. Hold on. AV Studio just does Albin VR games. Whirly Gig Games just does Cole Whirly Games. And even what would be my number yeah. one Splatterspellen are disqualified. If I had to pick without this criteria, Splatterspellen would be oh my number my one. God. But because they only do games by Euron Domen and Euros Versinga, that's more for me, I think, a choice of top five designers. So um, that was my disqualification. Let me know what yours is. That was, okay. So before saying about this uh, disqualification thing, I was going to say I couldn't agree more with what you said before. <laughs> because I, I, and I'm reading my notes now, I, hear, I, I have uh, written down that the best publisher is, is all about trust. It's not about components. It's not about art. It's not about number of good games published. Mm -hmm. It's about consistency in publishing good games. Yes. Which means that if someone tells me that she's giving me a random game and I can only pick the publisher, what is my order of these publishers that I would pick? I love it. Uh, but I don't have this disqualification. I, and, I, and I think that's Although fine. May, I think that's fine. I just, I, I felt like Splatterish, but then I just love those designers. Like, like, yeah, I don't know that Splatterish Pelin is like. I don't know. I feel like I was picking the designers. I I didn't feel it was fair to pick yeah. Cole Verley or 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 the Splatter guys or True. or CGE because True, I yeah. I looked at my list of games I love from CGE and it was just all Vlada games. So I'm like, that doesn't mean the publisher's yeah. good. That means Vlada's good. So, but do do you have any on, honorable mentions? I have one. Um, and uh, it's because these guys, they do a lot of reprints. And, and I'm mentioning now because my honorable mention is CGE. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, cool. Why are they honorable? Why but, didn't they make your but list? But I was thinking that it's exactly because what you said, because most of the games are Vlada games. Yeah. And I found out that I also loved Jolkin and mm -hmm. Shipyard. That's from great CG, games. But that's great all. Game. Um, yeah, they are great games, but there are better publishers if we think if we yeah. just uh, 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 leave Vlada on the side. Yeah, I so, I have similar, yeah. um, not a similar, but my honorable mention. The reason they didn't make the list is a lot of their stuff that they're publishing in quotation is them just bringing it to other markets. But they have great taste, but the games tend not to be originally them. And those are Capstone and Spielworks. Those two, I adore Capstone and Spielworks. But a lot of no. games is just them bringing it to other markets. They did Arkwright, Three Kingdoms Redux, The Estate, Wildcatters, La Granja. But none of them were the original publishers, I believe, of either of any of those. So um, there you go. So that would be the, my two honorable mentions are Capstone and Spielworks. I have another honorable mention, and that's 
Hans im Gluck, okay. which is a, a German publisher, which uh, apparently in German it means Hans in happiness. <laughs> and these guys, I found out that they have published all of my old favorite games, the games that I grew up with, like uh, Die Macher, mm-hmm. El Grande, Dominion, Tigris and Euphrates, Russian Railroads, Carcassonne. I mean, I had all these games, right, in my collection. Citadels, uh, Modern Art, Stone Age, yeah. Thorn and Paxis. But, but, but and they, they do so a many. lot of reprinting and bringing to other markets. So, like, yeah. a game that wants to go to Germany, they can go to, like, Eggertspiel or, like, Hans im Gluck or, like, one other, like... So a lot of games, like, you know, are not them that are developing and bringing the games to market, but they have great taste and they they bid for the right games. So I can totally see why you would put them on there. All right. Do you want, do you want to start with uh, your number five? Yes, I do. My number five <laughs> is a small publisher that I feel like they do interesting games. I feel like they're not a, a list I would say, oh, wow, if I had to pick my best publisher for me personally. But I think if you ever mentioned their name, I would be interested in what they came out with. And that's Osprey Games. Um, because just to oh. give you a list of games they, they I've, I've had or played from them, Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space, The Ravens of Three Sahashri, Cryptid, The Undaunted Series, London, High society. They tend to do a great job with the art and the production quality, yeah. but more importantly, all those games have interesting qualities and they uh, they come to the table, you know, quite a bit. And uh, I, I just think if you told me a game was by Osprey, I'd be interested. So number five is Osprey. I think that Ricardo's diving game, remember that? That was also Osprey's. Uh, so yes, that's an excellent choice i think but i didn't really consider having them in the i i was considering spillworks that you mentioned before as a yeah, very good company uh, my yeah. number my number five is a company that i actually didn't want to include because they are publishing so many games but then just reading the the games that uh, are good, I was thinking, no, I, there's no way I can leave GMT out of this. Oh. So, <laughs> so, so number five is GMT because I was thinking Dominant Species, Cuba Libre, Time of Crisis, Twilight Struggle, Virgin Queen, Pericles, Mr. President. They, they have like, for each of these games, they have published like 50 bad games. <laughs> but just for... <laughs> Just for these games, I was thinking, yeah, we should include GMT. That is something that people should look at. Yeah. Maybe investigate more totally. when they're buying something. But, uh, yeah, so that's my number five. Excellent choice. I like it. Um, my number four was Mind Clash Games. So these are the guys who did Tricarion, Anachrony, Cerebria. And Perseverance, but that was like, uh, I wasn't a fan of that game. Um, The point is, whenever they have a Kickstarter, I want to back it, or I at least want to try it. Um, 
So like Voidfall it's just came out. Every time they hear yeah. a Kickstarter, right? Yeah. So now that Voidfall is out, I really want to get a copy because it just looks great and it's usually got solid mechanics behind it. And Perseverance, you know, I found it a bit boring, but there were interesting me- mechanisms there. Tricarian and Anachrony, I've sung their praises a million times over. But even something like Cerebria, which is difficult to grok, it's still a very unique and interesting concept. And I really like that. Yeah. So um, I, I just, if you tell me a game is Mind Clash, I'm probably in to try to buy it or, or play it. Did so, you play Cerebria? I played that once, I believe. Um, and yeah. uh, it was okay. And I was very confused for most of it. Septima, yeah, that's that's a lighter one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still I still will go to them whenever. I'm not going to get Perseverance Chronicles 3 and 4 because I got 1 and 2 and didn't like them. Um, but like Voidfall, I really want to try to pick up a copy. And it's just like it's, it's an automatic for me to try, at least try their games. So um, are, I think Aren't these great. games from the same designers? No, they're not. That's a great question. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was like the same group of designers that are doing that. I think they started with the like same group in, of designers. Uh, yeah, I think. Let me let me look it up so that I don't mislead everybody around me. But um, initially, and the art, the art is very very beautiful, but very similar. I feel. Sure. Again, uh, art is not part of my rating, um, so I. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what to say to you. <laughs> but I like um, But I, I love Trikerion and we played Anachrony uh yeah. like three weeks ago and it, and it was so nice. So like the designers of Cerebria have nothing to do with the designers of um uh Anachrony. Perseverance has one of the same designers as the previous two. Septima has its own designer. So no, I would say no. They have one or two guys that show up in multiple games, but not one person that's in every game. So I think uh, it dodges my criteria of exclusion. All right. So a very nice choice. The Mindless games also crossed my mind, but they're not in my top five. Uh, my number four is a game that is a publisher that would have been disqualified by your criteria mm-hmm. because they are very publishing a lot of stuff mm-hmm. basically as you said before they have a good taste but they're not really giving original uh, concepts out and some of the games are uh, uh, not alone noria medina daimacher kitchen rush that's pretty clever terraforming mars stronghold la granja yes great western trail flam rouge Panamax, Paper Tales. Are you just going to keep listing games because Kalim- they have a lot of games? <laughs> Kalimala. And the, the two, I found the two original games that, that they published, at least if I'm not uh, wrong, at least in my investigation, are Kanban, which is a, a Vital Lacerda game, but it was published by Stronghold, and Voluspa. So only these two, Kanban and Voluspa, I believe they're, it's their original designs. But uh, I feel that you can trust them. If they bring something out, uh, it's a company that you should check. I I like them. And I think if you had asked me five, six years ago, I might have put them on my list. But I do think they've fallen off since Stephen Bonacore left and 
they've just not been as present at the forefront. Maybe they're just relying on terraforming Mars sales at this point. But um, they do have yeah. they do have great taste. Stronghold's a great thing, but they are more hit and miss to me than the others. So that's why they didn't make it. All right. So what is your number three? My number three top publisher is Victory Point Games, who do mostly solo and war games, uh, but they got very famous with one particular game called Nemo's War, um, and uh, they did. Other games that I own of theirs, Cruel Necessity, High Treason, which is a brilliant two-player game where you're, it's it's the best like court simulation of like a defense versus a prosecution that I've ever seen. Zulus on the Ramparts, Ottoman Sunset, Renegade, which is like the closest thing to Mage Knight that I've, I've found. I really love them. And I love that they used to start by cutting things out in their garage and they used to come in a little red box. All the games came in the same box with a sleeve uh, over it. And then they used to send you a napkin with the game because when you took it out, like you could still, the burn marks from the laser were still on there. So your fingers would get dirty. I love how small they were. I love that they got, they built up after Nemo's war and so on. And they've upped their production quality. But in general, like, if someone told me this is a victory point game, I would be keen to try it. And uh, they're not super expensive. They don't seem to rip off people. And I just, I think they have a solid background. It's not everyone's taste. They're not the most streamlined. They're almost like the anti-fantasy flight. You know what I mean? Like they don't try to take all the edges off of everything. They leave things a bit abrasive and clunky, but I like that. I, I, I enjoy it very much. And if you like solo games, you already know who they are. So Victory Point Games is my number three. Oh, so I don't like solo games. I don't know who they are. And I have only played Nemo from these guys. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's keep them in our rad radar. In our prayers. Uh, yeah. So my number three is, again, a company that it would have been disqualified by you because that's Capstone Games. Yep. And... <laughs> and I cannot say no to a game to a company that has in their list Wildcatters, <laughs> Arkwright, and, and the States. Yep. And Terra Mystica. Yep. I mean, what else do you do you want from a I mean Three Kingdoms Redux? And Three Kingdoms Redux, correct. <laughs> so yeah, I mean they're bringing these uh, games to the masses. <laughs> yes, they because are. all of these games, I believe. They were uh, published by obscure companies and now they are available everywhere in the I world agree. by Capstone Games. And I really feel that if Capstone uh, publishes something, then I must have a look at it. I agree. I think they're That's a great choice. They are, they are in my number three. That's why they were my honorable mention. I think that's an excellent pick. My number two is Ion Game Design. And they did the PAX oh. series. They did the BIOS series. They do Stationfall. Um, so they've done a lot of Eklund games, Phil and Matt. They've done a lot of the new PAX games that are not based on Eklund. So, like, uh, I can't remember any of their names right now. But, I, I mean, like, the, the designers. But, like, I really enjoyed PAX Viking. We talked about it recently. I've backed, you know, some new, newer PAX games as well. And Station Fall was genuinely like 
that game's in my top 20 for sure. I It was my must-play game this weekend, and we didn't play it, so I'm so bummed. But um, uh, I, basically anything that comes oh. out from them, I think is an auto, like, must try for me or at least must find somebody that has it and speak to them about it and they're even trying to make up for Eklund's um, sociopathy by by hiring people that are like reading to make sure you know it, it's not offensive or not trying to you know preach <laughs> Eklund's perspectives and everything and you know they're making an effort with that they also sponsor heavy cardboard who is a great go-to for anyone who likes heavy games. So Ion Game Design for me is a terrific company in terms of their game taste. And I, I I do think that I will always be interested in a game if it has the Ion logo in the bottom. Oh, <laughs> I praise again. Uh, I already feel that this is one of our m- most interesting top fives because we, have, we, we don't have a crossover yet. Yet. And... We won't have a crossover either, even with my top, uh, with my top two game, my number two game, because that's uh, sorry, not game uh, publisher, because that's Splatter Spillen. Good and choice. As you said before, it's just just these guys that are doing these great games. It's not a big deal. They're doing food food chain magnate. They're doing. Uh, they have done Antiquity, Indonesia, which is an excellent game. The Great Zimbabwe. Love the Great Zimbabwe. Uh, I want to play bus and uh what's the other boats and roads yeah roads and boats so many great games but uh i really understand why you disqualified them and yeah and if i uh, didn't they would be my number one my number so, two yeah totally but again they're still my number two according to the you know random selection uh, game from a company <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> a good criteria if that was my criteria they would be my number one um, would you like to guess my number one? I, I thought I could, like, before you said Ion Games. But now I cannot. <laughs> well, you're going to kick yourself because it was on your list. It's our first crossover. It's GMT Games. I'm surprised you didn't. No. Uh, have no. GMT on there. If a game says GMT no, on the cover. There's no way. I will play GMT, any GMT game. Um. Basically, I just thought about the fact that if I'm not sure whether to buy a game and I look at the publisher, does it make me want to buy it or not? So I have several games on my list. Like, for example, I have Blackbeard, which is a game that came out, I don't know, 15 years ago. I have Blackbeard, Age of Golden Age of Piracy or whatever it's called, on my wish list. And the reviews are not great. It's like a 6 out of 10 on BGG. And I was like, I really want a game about Blackbeard, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, literally in my head, I was just like, well, it's GMT, so I'll pick it up. Like, that's my logic with GMT. If uh, I wasn't sure about picking up, say, um, uh, Conquest of Paradise on a trade, I was like, well, it's GMT, I'll try it. Knowing nothing about the game, I'm willing to buy it if it's GMT. I have multiple P500s. Um, and just based on a theme, if I'm interested in the historical, so I just picked up one from their irregular series conflict on P500, uh, which is about Vijayanagara and the the Deccan um, uh, the Deccan uh, cultures over there. I don't know how it plays. I mean, it's all there if I want to read it, but I'm buying it because GMT is producing it, and that's how it comes down to me. Um, I'm not the biggest like 
uh, hex encounter war game guy out there. So I don't go there automatically, but my favorite game of all time, Virgin Queen, one of the best 18xxs you can play, 1846, Cuba Libre, the entire coin series, which I adore everyone that I've played. I own uh, Cuba Libre, Liberty or Death, uh, Fire in the Lake, um, the the Falling Sky, and I've just backed Vigianagra. Dominant Species, which is in my top 10. Sekigahara, which I believe is the best two-player game that you can play if it's a war game. And you know, Twilight Struggle, which I found a new love for later on. This is all GMT. This is all the same publisher. So for me, if I'm not sure if a game is good and it says GMT, it has that red logo on it, I'll buy it. So that's where I am. Wow. GMT is my number one publisher of all time with the conditions that I have set. All right. So, yeah, I'm just going to repeat what I said about GMT, that there are so great games in that company, but at the same time, you need to look uh, a little bit more because there are so many not so much great games. Okay, but like which in, bad uh, GMT the, games have you played? Which, which bad GMT uh, games have you played? The one we, uh, with the first world war that we didn't finish. Fields of Despair is not a bad game. We just didn't finish it. It's, it's a not a bad game. You're right, yeah. yeah. But it's not a good game either. I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I just never wrapped my head around it. And like I said, for I don't our do listeners, Hex yes, this is a game, so. a, a war game uh, for two players. Uh, uh, the theme is the First World War, and you cannot see the opponent's pieces. So you attack a hexagon and you ask, "Do I kill anything there?" And <laughs> the other player should be honest with you and say, "Yes, you killed something." Or uh, that's no, not true. No, you flip nothing. over that, the counters. That was a three. That is three. <laughs> it's not true. You're lying. The, you play the counters upside down. This is what I remember. They can't just pretend. But there are there are counters that are um, blanks, so you're bluffing, but you're not playing and just imagining where everything. Goes. That's not how the game oh, goes yes. at all. Yeah, true. Um, but but so. you have to trust the, your your opponent. Otherwise, you cannot play. No, right? because they just flip over the counter. <laughs> you no, no, you don't. That's yes. what I remember. Yeah, you do. That... You remember wrong, my friend. No, <laughs> but, but don't you remember that 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 was your first question in the game? That okay, but what if you're lying? I mean, the reinforcements maybe. Maybe you the don't know what reinforcements. Yeah. I, there is definitely some hidden aspects to it for sure, and it wasn't my favorite yeah. game, but I wouldn't say it was a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. Like, um, I, I I haven't played a game that I dislike from them, and I've played dozens of their games. Um, like Did Pericles, you like fire in the leg. You you like a, that? Yes, a lot of people hated Pericles, but. I loved Pericles. So this is my list, right? Like, I think it's, it's brilliant. I do. And yeah. granted, I haven't played. You know, They have a lot of games. That's the problem is I can't say that I've played every game, but everything that I have played from them has at the very least been interesting, which is more than I can say for 90% of publishers. Like, fantasy flight games to me are boring. Like, they, there's nothing interesting in them. You you play them, you know how it's going to go before you open it because they've tried so hard to remove all the edges and make it super fucking streamlined that the game is just 
uh, a generic game at this point. They've taken the soul out of it. GMT games, if nothing, are interesting. And then from there, you can yeah. see if you like it or not. So yeah, they, they, they have the, the opposite process, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, Make just, it as clunky we're, we're not and gonna <laughs> fix anything. <laughs> we're not gonna take. Yeah, just okay. We, we have a designer do whatever you want to do. Just publish your game. Yeah. No, I mean I, I won't argue against GMT. I mean they are in my top five. So uh, would you? If I tell you that it's not in your top five, would you? Do you wanna guess what is my number one game uh, publisher? Whirly Gig. You were close enough. It's Sierra Madre. Oh, you can't, I, I mean, you could have just gone for Ion because they republished all of Sierra Madre. Yes, yes. When you said <laughs> when you said Ion, I was thinking, oh, I could I could keep going with Ion, but no, I'm the old guy, and I will go with Sierra Madre because they were the guys that opened the corridor, a wide road for uh, this. Uh, Ion is uh, uh, Eklund's son, right? No, I Isn't think it's it? owned by another guy, but I do think they have a partnership with Eklund's son. Oh, anyway. Okay, so Sierra Madre is uh, Phil Eklund's company, and they have published the most uh, famous and uh, my favorite PAX games, uh, PAX Pamir, PAX Porfiriana, and PAX Renaissance, plus John Company. Yes. So this quadruple of games, I mean, and the the way that they implement and they they mix science in their games is what I love, I think. Or, I mean, maybe the way they are trying to mix science. <laughs> because some people will argue that this is not really science, so I, let's not go there. <laughs> but uh, still, if it's a Sierra Madre game, 100%, I want to play it. I I, I don't disagree. I, I do think Ion won it for me because they have most of the PAX games, the BIOS games, High Frontier, but they also had Station Fall. And they're, they've expanded the PAX series to be a little bit more, and they're making them a little more approachable to some extent. And so I, I had to go with Ion. And it's better production, um, And also, right? if I went with, yes. And if I went with Sierra Madre, I would go against my rule of not just all the games by the same designer, right? Because every Sierra Madre game... But had, there is called Werle there. That's true. The one thing that <laughs> accepts it is literally John Company. <laughs> that's the difference. Um, and and uh, Pax, Pax Pamir also. No, but that's a co-design with Phil, with Phil Eklund. He has his name on the book. Yeah, so it's it a cool design, count. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So that's why I went to the Iron Games, but I completely <laughs> understand. Uh, you should have gone to the Iron Games probably, <laughs> but be the old guy in the room shouting, yeah. that's fine, I'm happy for you. And uh, just to everybody that knows. I uh, feel that this is an excellent top top nine. <laughs> I mean, our, the combination of, of our choices. It's an excellent top nine. And if we, if we add the honorable mentions, it goes to quite a lot. Well, you had Spillworks. Most importantly, and if we add them together, GMT will be the like, top because it was the only one that crossed over in our top five. So <laughs> yeah, GMT that's, that's is true. It was your... <laughs> no, uh, I didn't want that. Unless you switch it to Ion Games, then Ion okay. Games wins. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yes, that's inter that's also interesting. Okay, okay. <laughs> I will leave that to our listeners. 
uh, who, our listeners, I mean, must not forget to let us know what their top five publishers are over at our Board Game Geek Guild. Or you can uh, actually, no, there's no or. What, what happened? I mean, usually we were saying that they can <laughs> Fine, also here, find here, us here. on Instagram. But, or in here our Instagram account, which is what? And also in YouTube, yeah, just just leave just leave a comment in YouTube or Instagram. Instagram is even easier, I feel. Just leave a, a, a comment in Instagram and say that Elias is wrong because this, this, and this. Okay, that, that's all we want from you. You can find all the links in our episode descriptions. Thank you very, very much for this. Are you are you just literally doing my part today? I feel like today is just keep doing my part. All right. No, no. That brings us I to said, the end of I this. Said, thank you for their comments. Okay. All right. I'll thank them for other stuff now. Yeah, thank you. Future, brings us to, comments, you know. to the end of this tabletop sessions. Thank you so much for listening. Or as Ipo would say, thank you very, very much for your comments. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Tabletop Sessions. Join the conversation, share a fun story of board game shenaniganism, and let us know what your top five was this month over at our Board Game Geek Guild. You can find the link to all of these in the episode description. We also have a YouTube channel. You can listen to the podcasts for free. And Ooh. you can uh, watch some gaming sessions for free. for free. We'll be back in a month, kind of-ish. And until then, it'll be, there'll be a Christmas episode. We'll be back in a month. Happy Thanksgiving. And until then, to quote one of my favorite writers, God damn it, you got to be kind. Say bye, Bye, guys. <laughs> 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 <laugh